1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Warner Brothers is proud to present the story of a guy. Good morning. I'm here. And his bike. James Bond kind of stuff. Together for the first time in their first big movie. I meant to do that. I say we killed it. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Be sure and tell him Large Marge sent ya. <laughs> what? What? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spitaro, and today I am joined by a new co-host who hasn't been on yet, but with any luck will enjoy being on enough that, we, that you'll hear him more. Uh, Brian Hall from the podcast with the best theme song that I know. <laughs> glad you think so thanks hi and thanks for for having me uh, it's funny that i get that song stuck in my head all the time too because i produce the show so i listen to it all the time <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it's i have had the uh what do they call it a mind worm or a yeah yeah earworm earworm i've had the earworm with that song on more than one occasion oh so, man yeah so <laughs> it, it's uh it, it's a catchy but if anybody doesn't know we're talking about the movie film podcast which is definitely one of the best if not the best movie podcast available right now oh wow thank you it's 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 excellent i i really you know it's must listen to me the only time i don't listen 
shortly after it's uh, posted is if you're talking about a movie that I haven't seen but plan to. Yeah, sure. Then, sure. then I wait until after I've seen it, and then I listen to what you guys had to say about it. Yeah, yeah. I am it's... very spoiler-averse. <laughs> no, that's... Yeah, and, and we, we try to be really sensitive about that, too. Usually when we're talking about a film, we'll have sort of a spoiler-free take, and then we'll have a spoiler wall, and then we like it, you know, to be as if we had just seen the movie together, and we were going to, like, you know, hang out afterwards and talk about it. Uh, not even really get into like a movie review per se, but we like having a discussion. And so we, I remember actually the last one we did, we started just leaking into spoilers on accident. And then we actually went back and make sure we locked that out. And we try to protect the spoilers as much as we can. No. And, and I appreciate that you do that. But when I listen, I'd rather listen to the complete show. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to get two thirds of the way through and say, whoops, I got to turn it off. Cause they're starting to get into spoilers. Now let me save that till later. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather have seen the movie and then just listen to the whole thing. Or there are occasions where it's a movie that I'm kind of on the fence about mm-hmm. or that I have no intention of seeing. So then I'll just listen right through and see if you guys entice me enough to want to see it. That's a good, you know, and it, it, that's another thing, too, is uh, sometimes I don't even want to know what people think yet. I don't want to have the, the movie colored for me before I even go and check it out. So I can imagine that being the case also you know like make your own opinion first and then come in and see if we even are you know positive or negative on it i i've I've always measured the uh success of a podcast by like if i'm listening in the car Mm -hmm. and you guys are talking about something and i feel the need to answer something you say (laughs) yeah and i start talking to my to my bluetooth uh you know as if you can hear me yeah. Usually, usually that inspires me to the point where I think, oh, you know what? I got to write into these guys and, and tell them what I'm thinking, and then yeah. I ne- and then I never do. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's like the biggest compliment, honestly. I, I love that. And and people, that's the thing too. Is I mean, you know, we we do these things, and you produce them and you put them out there, and you don't know what happens to them, right? Mm-hmm. And to have people. To have you say that, and then sometimes people will write in, and I remember one specifically, some guy said he was shoveling his driveway and listening to us, and then, I guess, talking back to us, you know, while we were, we were doing the thing, and I was like, wow, it just doesn't occur to me where this thing beams out to, and it's so cool getting that response and, and knowing that it's it's being heard. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll see certain statistics with our shows, and I don't a lot of the numbers kind of over my head. I don't know exactly what it means as far as downloads uh, or how many people are listening, but you, you see like lists of different countries mm, yeah. where it's going to. And it's, it's just fascinating to, to me that people in these far off lands are, are listening to, you know, me babble on about various topics. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. But that's, that's the greatest thing, right? It's like a shared interests and it's cool that it can bring people no matter where they all are all together for the, the thing that we all love. Which is exactly how we got together to talk today. Yes. So, uh, now I, I know of your current occupation, but I don't know if the people listening do, so you might as well. Normally we save this for the end, but I think uh, I think you have a certain amount of movie cred, so I'd rather kind of throw it all up in the beginning. Uh, sure, yeah. Well, I mean, currently I'm writing for a Disney show called Puppy Dog Pals, which is uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's for younger kids, but we... Surprisingly, when we see the rating statistics, uh, older kids are watching it and enjoying it too. So that's <laughs> it's kind of fun and flattering. And sometimes we'll see feedback on Twitter too. Parents will catch the diehard references we throw in, and 
<laughs> well, and I, I think we're gonna. I think as we talk about this movie, we're gonna get into a little bit of that. The uh, writing for a younger audience and trying to appeal to an older audience at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's so a good point. I think we have a correlation there. And just, just by way of you know movies, what's what's your background? Uh, in terms of what I've worked on, or in or just you know how, how did how did you get into it, and and you know, and what have you worked on for that matter? Yeah, I uh, let's see. I've I've always been interested in movies and filmmaking. I think the first movie I ever made, I think, it was in like fourth grade, and we didn't have a, a video camera, but my neighbors did. So it's like you know the neighbor kids would get together, and I tended to direct them, and um, we made Terminator Three <laughs> before there was a Terminator Three. That was definitely one. <laughs> made a movie called Ninja Granny, things like that. Usually it involves someone witnessing a murder and then being pursued. I'd say like <laughs> maybe about six or seven movies about that. So you kind of went uh, with the Alfred Hitchcock uh, template. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, I just the bug never left, and so I uh, moved out to Los Angeles and I interned at a production company, and that led to me being a production assistant on several movies, and then a production coordinator on uh, or post production coordinator a couple movies i was christopher guest's assistant on one of his movies that was a that was a time that's <laughs> and, cool uh, yeah and then that eventually led to i dabbled in editing wasn't for me um I, I i enjoy it out of necessity for my own things but i didn't want to do it professionally and that led to me working on bob's burgers as their post supervisor and i was there for about four years and uh i wrote for their comic book because i knew i had an interest in writing which was very charitable and cool of them and that is what led to Puppy Dog Pals, basically. So, how long have you been doing that now? Puppy Dog Pals has been maybe about two, a little over two years now, something like that. Oh, okay. I thought it was even so, longer. It, it may be. Maybe it, it might even be coming up on three years. I'm not sure, but uh, I lose track of the time sometimes. Uh, well, I would say if anybody who listens has young kids at home, you can. Uh, you know, exp- experience some of Brian's writing in, in that and uh, check it out and let me know what you think. Yeah, I, 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 hope, I hope they enjoy it. It's fun. I mean, obviously, yeah, it is, it is for a young audience, but I think the characters are so darn cute. Well, you know, <laughs> as as a parent and my kids, you know, as we were talking about before we started the show, you know, they're, they're older now. But as a parent, when my kids were younger and would be watching all of these shows on TV you know, you appreciate when the show isn't totally pandering to the children and can yeah. walk that fine line between being entertaining for the children but also having humor in it that the adults can appreciate. Yes, yes. And and by way of that, uh, we, we, were, we were on vacation last week, as I had told you before we, before we went, uh, mm-hmm. And we were down in Florida, and at one point we were at a pool, and they said, "Oh, they announced that they were going to have a trivia contest." So my kids naturally are like, "Oh, Dad, you got to go and, and be in the trivia contest because I act like I know everything." Uh, <laughs> so I didn't realize until we got there, but you know, until we actually stepped up. But when we stepped up, the, the contest was me, my two kids, and a bunch of kids that r- ranged in age between five and uh, eleven. <laughs> <laughs> which the interesting thing was the the prize was a free drink just if if, okay. if you if you if you were over 21 you it could be an adult beverage uh so i didn't realize until we started doing it there were 20 questions every one of them was spongebob oh you know various the questions prize was a free drink yeah uh. and uh 
I was one of three people who got all 20 correct. <laughs> so it shows you how much time I could spend watching children's shows if they have some humor in it that I could appreciate. Uh, yeah, I love SpongeBob. You know, I heard uh, someone saying somewhere, you know, Simpsons for a whole generation was something that really shaped people's senses of humor and their references, and 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 that's still the case for a lot of people. But now as we edge into different generations, it seems that SpongeBob is the one that is uh, a whole generation's, like, touchstone. I was like, oh, that's really interesting, because I know SpongeBob, and I like SpongeBob, but I think I just sort of missed it to be fully immersed in it, and that's, I mean, that's it's a great show to, to have kids, <laughs> you know, really creative, wacky show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Simpsons, I feel like it, it's, I, I don't know how it performs as far as ratings currently. Mm-hmm. But for people in you know the same age as me, a little younger than me, a little older than me, whatever, uh, who were you know who were experiencing it when it first went on the air, mm-hmm. I think there came a point where it kind of overstayed its welcome for us. Uh, agreed, because yes, I was there at the beginning. I was a fan from day one, and there was definitely <laughs> I've spoken about this with uh, Zachy a lot, but. Uh, my co-host from Movie Film Podcast. It's um, it was like it was good for let's say X amount of years. I'm not even going to put it out there and offend anybody. It, for for me, it was good for about you know X amount of years, and then there was a point where you just keep watching because it was a routine, and then at some point I noticed other people dropping off, and I was like a lone wolf for a while. <laughs> and, I, I don't and know some, if a new audience picks up on it though. I, I don't know that the quality dropped off. I, so much as it's kind of like I've seen so much there's so so many episodes that I can't dedicate the time to it anymore I feel like for me and I used I would probably have been harsher about this years ago but what I've come to realize is this I love the show when it had a specific voice and there were people there whose voices I enjoyed and inevitably when a show goes on for that long those voices are going to leave and new voices are going to come in. And I found I wasn't responding to those new voices. So the show, to me, didn't sound right. And so I was happy it worked for other people, but the time that I responded to had just naturally come to an end. And so I was okay with moving on. Well, and by you saying a new voice, I mean, I think we could look at that two different ways. The new voice being just kind of the tone and the message it's trying to send, but also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be much more literal on that, when Phil Hartman died, I thought it lost a lot. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And he, we, we lost him, I think, about season 9 or 10. And I think for a lot of people, they would call the quote-unquote golden age about seasons 1 through 10, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's And again, like you said, you don't want to insult anybody who loves the later ones, but for, yeah, for me, yeah, for me that was the prime time for it. I would agree. I would I would say about one through ten, but but it's funny too because then you also have people who watch the show, start writing for the show, and they're sort of doing their take on the show, right? Like so, for me when it started, to me that was the show, and now it's like you can only have people trying to do what the show was at one point, right? Mm-hmm. When it goes on for thirty years, it's amazing, and so it's just it? naturally going to be, feel a little different. It really is amazing, though, that it's been on that long. I know. it's one of those, I haven't watched it in years and years, but if it left the air, I'd still be sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't argue with you on that. I will, too, when, when it goes. Life. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I kind of hope 
that the audience has maintained and that as I, I can't say we, as we age out because I don't think that would be the proper term but as we've seen enough mm-hmm. that maybe there's a new audience to come in and, and keep it alive yeah so. yeah and it's 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 definitely I know a lot of people can relate to this but Simpsons is a second language for me like I speak Simpsons to people and it's a shorthand and they know exactly what I'm saying better than I could put into words when I can say a certain quote and it's funny because I found it seeped into my writing and I, I did a, a Puppy Dog Pals episode where I had the dog basically did the Frogert joke <laughs> you know where that's good oh that's bad that's good that's bad and then he gets confused and doesn't know if it's good or bad and I didn't even realize I was doing it it just felt right to me and then I turned it in and someone later was like hey that's funny you did like a little oh, homage to the Frogert thing I was like, oh yeah, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's just, it's in, it's woven into my fabric. So it's, that's just, yeah, yeah. I, and somebody, I, I think it was, it might be on Nostalgia Theater, uh, just to keep this going to the same circles. I think Zachy had somebody on from The Simpsons, and he talked about how he did a joke that he thought was so original, and then one of the quality control people said, yeah, we did that joke ten seasons ago. I can only imagine on that show what that must be like. And I wonder who the, what do you call it, not the gatekeeper, but the, the person who keeps track of all those things. Yeah. I can't even imagine I, I what their brain must be filled with. Yeah, I, I don't know how you uh, how you create some sort of a database for that either. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's got to be, it really almost has to be memory. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is just mind-boggling that's that that may be the toughest job in uh in cre- in creative uh production right now yeah but a fun one i imagine <laughs> yeah your job is probably to sit and keep watching episodes all the time to refresh your memory on them and, and then <laughs> right. just read the scripts on the new ones yeah anyway we keep going you know we, we could probably go a field all night and just make this a shoot the breeze uh episode but we do have a movie to discuss and brian suggested that we do peewee's big adventure from 1985 yes and this is this fits right in i think with the type of humor that we've been discussing uh you know certainly designed for all audiences in a kind of an offbeat way uh so i'll start off by saying what made you pick this one well, you you uh, reached out and suggested I come up with a couple movies, and I thought, okay, so I, I sort of have my top five off. You know, when someone asks me my top five movies, I kind of have my my stock answer. And uh, so, I, and I was looking through your thing. I was like, okay, he did this one. He did this this one. And what I've noticed is, P. I would say Pee Wee's Big Adventure is probably one of my top comedies of all time. And I think if you asked a lot of people. If they like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, they're all going to say, oh, I love that movie. And they, they can even quote it and reference it. But I feel like it doesn't come up in conversation as much as something like a Star Wars or a Back to the Future or something that people were endeared to as when they were kids. You know, there are certain sort of, like I say, like sort of stock uh, replies that you can expect from people. But you're rarely going to hear Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But I think everybody loves it. So I was like, oh, you know, I love this movie, and I want to call it out, and I want to talk about it for an hour. <laughs> yeah, and it's very cool with me. I, I I saw this first on home video. I did not see this in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing, you know, as as I often do when we 
cover a movie I, I did you know it's just some basic uh, research nothing you know nothing too in depth because uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly I, I wanted to have a little knowledge of the background but I want it to be my own opinions that I'm giving yeah uh, but apparently the character of Pee Wee Herman first appeared in public in Cheech and Chong's next movie oh interesting which I was unaware of okay I didn't uh, know that and I had seen Cheech and Chong's next movie, and I think like he registered in my mind as a character, but I didn't carry him with me. So that when this movie came out, I just had this innate sense that I knew who he was. That this mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, this this wasn't somebody who was totally foreign to me. And I yeah. think that made it easier to kind of just dive in feet first and and you know watch this without wondering what the hell is going on it's you know <laughs> the guy with the voice in the suit yeah exactly uh you know I, I think you know for a lot of people they saw it when they were much younger in which case they don't give it that kind of thought when they, when they're first watching it it's just like oh <laughs> this is funny and that's all i care about yeah uh, but this this was definitely i mean this this is like the definition of offbeat yes and I think it rises and falls, and I don't think it really falls at all, but I think it rises totally on the shoulders of Paul Rubens and Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no doubt in my mind whatsoever. And this is, uh, this is the Tim Burton that I could get behind, which yes. is not something I could say about every movie he's made. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I have to say I, I love this movie as well, and it's I hadn't seen it in a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it almost fits exactly the description that you're given that it's kind of like fallen by the wayside and forgotten a little bit. And I watched it again for the purposes of of doing this show, and I, I got pulled right back into it. And it's just yeah. so quirky that. <laughs> That I, you know, like I, I just sit there and I say, how did he come up with these ideas? I know, it's just so genuinely funny, and it's it, it's definitely quirky. But what I love is that it's not it's not edgy. It feels edgy, but it isn't, right? And it's it's not riffing on anything like quote unquote current. Yeah. You know, like it's just a funny character enduring. A whole plethora of things, offbeat things that could happen to him on the road. You know, it feels. I think it's it's just as funny in now as it, it probably was in '85. You know, like it, it doesn't feel entirely dated, except maybe maybe for the twisted sister moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I did take note of that. I was thinking, how how old is uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> I can't. D Snyder. D Snyder. How old yeah. is D Snyder now? And does he look at himself with that hair and think, oh Jesus? Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, but, but you know, before I forget, I, we got a call too. It was co-written by Phil Hartman. Yes, yes. Which is, I, I'm just trying to imagine him and Paul Rubens hunched over a typewriter, <laughs> you know, doing, <laughs> typing out this movie. I, I can't even picture it. Well, they were part of the same comedy troupe, right? Initially, and that's how they knew each other. And then Phil Hartman, if I remember right, and I really didn't. It's not something I did watch, but I think he was a regular or semi-regular on the Pee Wee Herman show that appeared on HBO. Mm, right. And then I think he also, you know, made appearances. I, by the, after this, I think, is about when Phil Hartman went to Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he was appearing regularly, but I think he might have made the occasional appearance on Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse. Right. Because well. I think he was a Groundlings character, right? Yes. Pee Wee? Right. 
And so it's funny because my, my history with Pee Wee is um, uh, I was born in 1980. So I was like the perfect age for Pee Wee's Playhouse on Saturday mornings. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, I wasn't really into it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what it was. Like I, I remember being on and maybe being amused by it for like a couple minutes, but I never would keep it on. And I didn't know the HBO stuff that he had done. He had done a couple HBO specials, I guess, which were a little more uh, adult. Yeah, like, I, I th- yeah, I think playfully they, adult, exactly. Right? I think they were they were. It was like I'm going to do this children's show for adults. Yes, yes. And uh, but for some reason, the the first time I saw this movie, we didn't have cable, and uh, we didn't own like a lot of movies and stuff. But when a movie, remember, it used to be a big deal when a movie would air on Sunday night on like the one of the three big networks, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be like the NBC Sunday night movie, and one night it was this on uh, CBS and so I just stuck a tape in the VCR and recorded it never seen it wasn't really even into Pee Wee that much but and then I watched it and I I, something about it just got its hooks into me and you said you you brought it up with Tim Burton which is I mean just a match made in heaven his weird sort of sensibilities mixed with Paul Rubin's writing and I would also throw in there Danny Elfman's score which is incredible Yes, it, it, and you know, and we could talk a little bit more about it, but uh, Danny Elfman and Tim Burton over the years have had a an ebb and flow with me uh, mm-hmm. because yeah. they are so incredibly stylized, both of them, mm-hmm. that there's a point where I've kind of like lost my respect for what they're doing because it just feels like the same thing over and over again to some extent. Uh and I, I think I'm oversimplifying that a little bit. Certainly, Danny Elfman, that, that's kind of an apt description of what I think. Tim Burton, I think, kind of got a little bit too much in love with his own style, mm-hmm. in my, I, in I my opinion. that really well. I, I agree with that, because I think, at first, he, he had a lot of things to say, right? So you had, I think Pee Wee, excuse me, uh, was well suited to his sort of, he likes outsiders and people who feel like freaks in the real world and how the world reacts to them, and... So that, that's fitting for this. And then, of course, you know, you have Batman. And I think Edward Scissorhands may be one of my favorite movies of his, easily. Okay. Um, and you passed, you, passed up, you passed up Beetlejuice. Oh, Beetlejuice, of course. Uh, all the way up through Ed Wood, I, I would say. You know, even Batman Returns, people say, you know, that's more of a Tim Burton movie than it is a Batman movie. Mm. But then it felt like studios kind of got their claws on him and wanted him to take properties and make them Tim Burton versions of this. And that's when it started to feel a little less special and a little less authentic, I think. Yeah, a little, just a little less original. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, that's like the whole idea of his style, at least as I interpret it, is it's different from anything you're going to see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then when, it's just, when you just start doing that over and over again and you're not really being innovative in how you present it, it starts to become tiresome. And there was almost a backlash for that for me. I don't know if you experienced this at all, but, for example, the Batman, the 1989 Batman movie, when that first came out, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I saw it in the movie theater probably five times. Mm. And then over time, as I started to get tired of Tim Burton's style a little bit, mm. I retroactively started to not like that movie anymore. Mm. And then over time, like, I, I, you know, I... I stepped away after after planet of the apes i stopped seeing tim burton movies and 
after I was removed from it for a while, a few years ago, I watched Batman again, and I was like, now I like it again. Mm-hmm. But I had to get away from it. I, I, I just felt like I was being overexposed to that style, and it, it lost its, its flair for me. Yeah, that one, personally, that one's always been... I, I've never let go of that one. Okay. <laughs> but I was nine when that came out, so I mean, that it was cemented into my little movie heart. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I was at a point, you know, as, as growing up as a comic book lover, and I was obviously older than nine, uh, but uh, I, you know, to see a, a, you know, a big budget movie, because I hadn't seen one really at that scale since Superman 2. Mm-hmm. Which was 1982, I believe. So you had about a seven-year gap without any real, you know, major comic book movies. You had, you know, you had some comic book productions, uh, mostly TV movies and not really high-quality ones. Sure. Uh, so when this came out, you know, I, I was all over it, and. You know, then it took a number of years before they started to really ramp it up again. Until you know, we got to X Men and uh, Blade and all of those movies where they started, you know, upping the budgets and upping the quality a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was like I said, I was all over it. And then, but then there were diminishing returns with the sequels, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and you know, it, it just kind of. Did the, it basically had the same effect as the Tim Burton effect that I talk about? And Tim Burton, I don't know what year he came out with it, but he he committed a cardinal sin, in my opinion, in uh, Sleepy Hollow. Oh, okay, yeah, that I remember that was one I was really looking forward to, and then left feeling a little like, eh. but I'm curious what 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 the reason was for you. There's a scene in that, and I only saw it in the movie theater, and I saw it once, and I don't remember what year that came out, but. Uh, there's a scene in that where the monster uh, attacks a house, and there's a family mm-hmm. in there, as I recall, and the the mother, the father, both of them, whatever it is, they have the young boy climb underneath like a wood panel to hide underneath the floorboards, mm-hmm. and you think, okay, the, the thing's going to kill the parents, which is horrible, but this kid's going to survive, and the, the monster rips up the floorboards and kills the kid. Oh, and to me, that's a cardinal sin of movies. And the only one who's ever been able to get away with it was Steven Spielberg in Jaws, with the Kitna boy. Right, right. I, I, you know, you, you can't, you can't have me watch a movie where you're going to kill a, 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 an animal or a child and have me be comfortable watching it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I think I'm probably in the same camp with you on that, on that sort of thing. So, well, you know, whatever the case may be, like to, to me, that was, that was where Tim Burton totally lost me. Yeah, and I, I, I feel, <clears throat> I only have a general memory of it, but I feel it's sort of what we were talking about, where, you know, what Burton and Elfman were doing together just felt so fresh and authentic, and I remember that one feeling really bombastic, mm-hmm. and like sort of bombastic Elfman and bombastic Burton, and I was like, ah, it just feels like maybe I need to take a step back from this for a little while, <laughs> you know, and then uh, and return to it at some point, but it was starting to feel like overkill to me a little bit. And what, what I would need is for Burton to try and do something. I'm not going to say he needs to reel it in. By the way, Sleepy Hollow was in 2000. I just quickly looked that up. Okay. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want him to necessarily reel it in. I would just want him to do something different. Yeah. Use, use that, that apparently very creative mind to come up with something that we haven't seen already. I entirely agree. I want to see something out of his own mind again. 
and 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 I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be so judicious. I was going to say something that's like lower budget. I mean, whatever. He can spend whatever he wants to spend. But like, I just, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. You're not, you're not yeah. saying lower budget because you want him to spend less. You're saying lower budget because you want him less beholden to a studio. Yeah. Calling the shots. Yeah, I just kind of want to see what's kicking around in his brain that he's like, yeah, well, I don't know. I'll just make this other Disney thing first. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. What's, what's the thing you're thinking about right now? I'd, I'd be very curious to see what that is. Yeah, that's... And and if he came out with something that... That was the advanced buzz on it, was this is something new and original that Burton's doing, I'd be very curious to see it, and I, I would probably shell out my money to go to the theater and see it. Yeah. But, but if it's, you know, okay, now we're going to do... Uh, Tim Burton's version of, uh, uh, you know, I can't even think of, you know, some 70s cartoon. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, H.R. Puffin stuff. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, Tim, Tim Burton's, Burton's H.R. Puffin, Puffin stuff. stuff. Yeah, I, I have no interest. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, going back to Pee Wee, that's what's so interesting is that this being his first movie, feature film, uh, it's definitely a Tim Burton movie. I mean, when you look at those nightmare sequences, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are so, like the clowns in the, I, in my memory, there's spirals, I'm sure, <laughs> somewhere in there. But I love that it's uh, it's a it's a marriage, you know. It's it's Tim Burton presenting sort of Pee Wee's vision, yeah. You know, and it's not like the the total, you know, drowning in Burton sort of thing. And I, I think that's what, even though I do love like Beetlejuice, and that's that's full blown Burton, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, I just think this is a really interesting introduction to Tim Burton. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I and I you know, I was totally hook, line and sinker after this and after Beetlejuice and you know, then when we got Batman, I, I was I was a Tim Burton devotee at that point. But Yeah, and it also does feel clearly like Paul Rubin's voice as well. I mean it doesn't yes. feel like it's being impeded by style even. I mean No, it it feels like their styles melded together incredibly well. Yes. Yes. And there's some just plain, silly, funny stuff in here. I mean, just even th- the other day, I was just joking about uh, when Pee Wee's that's a burning pet store, and he keeps passing the snakes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just funny. <laughs> but it's just so plain and simple. I mean, that's the other thing too. Is I mean, a lot of this is stuff that anybody can laugh at. I mean, like a ten-year-old can laugh at that, and my mom can laugh at that, and my grandparents can laugh at that. And I think that's such a unique sort of thing and I think a lot of times those are the things that tend to endure and then you know? there are so many things in this that they looking back on them they're almost throwaways not because they flash by so quickly but because there's so much going on that you forget little things I mean just having Professor Toru Tanaka who is a professional wrestler uh, be be the butler at Francis's house yes it's like yes. you know how, yeah. how, do, how do you even think to do that where, where does that come from you know I know and and it's so stupid the, the knock that he does at the door too you know ding 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 ding, ding. like I'm, uh, my best friend works with me at work and if I'm in my office my door's closed he does that knock on my door and so I know it's him <laughs> but, but you know I wanted I actually wrote this down before you even brought it up but I being such a huge Simpson guy it, it was sort of a realization to me as I was sitting down to sort of think about this for the show, but this really did sort of precede The Simpsons in its humor. It was sort of a mad magazine-y, irreverent, you know, quirky sort of humor that you could imagine Homer experiencing a lot of the things that happen in this uh, movie. You know, like, for some reason, he ended up in the Alamo and finding out there's no basement. And that feels very Simpson-y. And even, like, the mob mentality sort of thing. I love the mob mentality of Springfield. And uh, you know, you think this is a more positive example of it. But I love when um, Pee Wee's on that payphone 
He's trying to prove to Dottie that he's in Texas. He's like, hey, <laughs> listen, you know, and he sticks the stars at night, and everyone claps, deep in the heart of Texas. It's just, uh, I love that stuff. And it, yeah, Very I mean, Simpson-y. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I didn't really make the connection of the Simpson-y writing. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, you, obviously we have the musical connection. Uh, but, yeah, you're right about the just, just the general tone of the storytelling is very similar. Yeah, and, so it's and, not surprising to me that I'm drawn to both. Yes, or at least the early Simpsons, <laughs> as we were discussing. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I just marvel at it as I'm watching it, just some of the ideas he comes up with. Uh, again, throwaway things, like when he's, when he's going over his evidence... <laughs> after the bike is stolen, and what's the guy's the guy who's got like the weird mohawk? Uh, amazing, Larry. amazing Larry! You have something to say, Amazing Larry? <laughs> like just, yeah. just out of nowhere. And the guy doesn't even say anything. He doesn't even have a line. It's just him like looking forward and oh, like shocked by being called out. Uh, it, and then, it, and then, yeah, the whole evidence thing where he's like, Exhibit A, you know, me and my bike. Exhibit B, you know, me. Something's <laughs> missing. What is it? You know, without my bike. <laughs> And everyone, and it's like the Tim Burton sort of, you know, <laughs> creepy music playing, and everyone sort of having to listen to him drag this out. It's uh, just, that, it's like timeless comedy. It really is, and it, it's well, it, it's it's based on an old what's what's the the old movie like the bicycle theft or something like that. Yeah, I saw that. I don't have it written down, but yeah, yeah, I don't either, unfortunately. But inspired I, by an old film. It, originally, it said they said that he wanted to do a remake of Pollyanna mm. with him in the starring role in the Haley Mills role, mm. which is just off the off the wall to begin with. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, but then he. Oh, it, it, they said he noticed that everybody in the Warner Brothers lot was riding bicycles to go back and forth, and and that's oh, that's what inspired him to come up with this. And remember, Pee Wee, when I saw you, and I said, "I love your bike." It's like yeah. it just <laughs> just weird stuff, you know. And and Francis reminds me. I, I don't know how up on this you are, but Francis reminds me of Joe Besser playing Stinky on the old Abbott and Costello TV series. Oh, I don't. I. I'm not familiar. No, but you know who Joe Besser is? He was he was at one time one of the Three Stooges, uh, one of the replacements. Oh, for, Joe? Uh, for, for of the, oh, okay. I guess he, I didn't he, know he, repl- he yes, replaced I Curly yeah. uh, after Shemp left. Okay, yeah. And then he I was did. on the he was on the old Abbott and Costello TV show in the 1950s, uh, and he he was yeah. you know he's a, a somewhat heavy set middle aged guy, yeah. And he was he would wear like a little Lord Fauntleroy outfit, and and. <laughs> You know, you ever seen the cartoons when they have the character say, "Oh, I'm going to give you such a pinch like that." That no. was that was a takeoff of him. Oh, uh, see, that doesn't surprise me at all. It feels like he is so reference heavy in his own. You know, like whereas now we reference, say, The Simpsons or Star Wars or whatever. I mean, this is Paul Rubens referencing all the stuff that he grew up with. Well, this is just this is my own take on it. I have no idea if Paul Paul Rubens was influenced by it. But they were like when he and Luke Costello would do scenes together, they would be basically like two ten-year-old kids in adult bodies. Okay. And that's what the scenes with Pee Wee and Francis reminded me of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, they're grown men. It's somehow you just buy it, but when you take a step back, it's so ridiculous. And I'm saying, you know, I know you are, but what am I? Back and forth. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and it's... listening to reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 uh, it's funny because my brother and I sometimes we write together, 
and he's always trying to propose a road movie because we like road movies. Mm-hmm. And I always get so into I immediately shut it down because I'm like, road movies are so intimidating because really, I mean, they're almost like sketch films. Like you, you first of all, you have to come up with an interesting protagonist or maybe two protagonists. So you have to like them and their journey has to have some reason you care about. But then they have to go through all of these vignettes that have to be really f- interesting consistently for an entire movie. Yeah, because you can't lose the audience during any of them, otherwise you may not get them back. Yeah, because I mean, to me, I mean, the most perfect road movie is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, because you you care about, you know, both Steve Martin and, or Dell and Neil, and then every single portion of that trip never makes me want to turn the channel. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I love their journey, I love their arc, and everything that happens to them is really funny to me and it's such a lean movie too i mean i think it's just 90 minutes but he also for me you know dumb and dumber is a great road movie or vacation mm-hmm. uh, national lampoon's vacation and so and then and then this movie because all the things he encounters there's never a point where i'm bored by the thing that he's encountering and it can be a huge set piece like the large marge thing you know which is so weird and random and what i love about that is i love it it's a two part set piece i mean you have him in <laughs> <laughs> with this, you know, strange truck driver telling this story that's like creeping him out, and then you have that insane animation. I'm sure you have tons of kids' nightmares. Yeah, but then sure. he gets dropped off, and he's walks into a cafe, and thinks it's all over, and then when he brings up Large Marge, you know, sent me. Then the same music starts, you know, kicks in, and they're like it was a night just like tonight, and they retell her story. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly oh, the way she told over. it. <laughs> So, so if they, you know, if she died, you know, then that means I was with her ghost. <laughs> the whole cafe. <laughs> yeah, it, it's again. I just keep coming back to just how how off the wall crazy it is, and and how they came up with these ideas for things like just throw that in there. And it, it's it it's beyond just the having vignettes, like you said, because I, I think, and then maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm speaking just as I'm thinking it I haven't like uh, you know I haven't gone through the movies to to kind of figure this out but planes trains and automobiles vacation dumb and dumber uh, there seems to be like a natural progression as you go from mm-hmm. scene to scene there seems to be a story thread that's running through them and you also kind of have an ensemble cast at least to some extent in every other one of those you have at least two people who are the main cast uh, mm-hmm. this is first of all one guy carrying it and then, when we as we go from one thing to another, it almost feels like a non sequitur. It doesn't feel like there's a thread holding them together, and yet they hold together anyway. It's Does that true. make I sense? Mean, am I, uh, or actually, am I yeah, off the I, wall on that? I think that's it's really true because you know the 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 next set piece I was thinking of that came to mind is so random. You could almost cut it from the film, but it's when he hops on that train. And he's with that hobo who won't stop singing. <laughs> <laughs> they're singing along together and having fun and by the end he's looking at him like he's insane and throws himself off the train I mean, he, he covers his ears screaming and leaps off the train and it, it just, just the fact yeah. that he ends up going to the Alamo because some fortune teller tells, yes. tells him it's in the basement like you know, like I said it's almost like a non sequitur where do we come up with this I know and it's, it's so genius too and I still feel like I hear people reference the basement of the Alamo. So it's like this joke that's sort of stuck in people's conscience, consciences. Oh, that's a hard word to say. But uh, but it's funny, going back to what you said, 
whereas the hobo thing is a total non sequitur, it's funny that the Alamo does serve a purpose. Like, he thinks his bike's there, but they come up with this funny thing where he has to sit through the whole tour before he can even find out where the basement is. Mm-hmm. And you have Jan Hooks playing the tour tour guide. And he's like, you know, can you say Adobe? And he's sitting... His face is priceless as he's just rolling his eyes while the whole tour guide is repeating all these words back to back to the tour guide but then it's and then you feel so bad for him after this whole journey and everything he's been through and it's it's not even there and then you go back to the mob mentality though later on when he you know who are you i don't remember <laughs> where, 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 where are you going i don't remember what do you remember i remember the alamo hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know and there's that whole thing too with the uh, the escaped prisoner <laughs> where he's hitchhiking oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then he, he just it, it's almost like a scene out of a bugs bunny cartoon it what, totally is you're right this really yeah. is i mean for all intents and purposes this is a live action cartoon yeah 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 that's so funny because it's like where did he get that outfit anyway <laughs> right you know but uh yeah I don't know. And then, it, oh yeah, and then the, the scene that comes uh, with the prisoner before they get pulled over, but the uh, or at the police stop where he's driving the car, and then it, the signs get increasingly crazy about how many loops and twists and turns there. <laughs> he drives them off a cliff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like holding each other and screaming, and it's and again, and right out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny, too. I, I'm sure they fixed it these days for Blu-ray and whatnot. But in the older versions, you could actually see uh, the track that those signs are on as they're coming toward the camera. Oh, really? I didn't. I never yeah, noticed that. That and then also with the bike chain. When he's pulling the bike chain, which is such a stupid, funny gag, where he's pulling that really, really incredibly long bike chain out of the compartment on his bicycle. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, in the old versions, you could see that there was no bottom to it and the chain was being fed through the bottom. But there's something about it that just it's kind of charming. <laughs> so just just to go to other things that remind me of, you know, almost references that remind me of other movies, and this one's going to be a little off the wall. I, don't, I doubt you've ever heard this comparison. Okay. The this, this scene when he rescues all the animals from the burning pet shop, mm-hmm. and then they go to arrest him, and they're like, no, this boy's a hero. Mm-hmm. What that reminded me of is Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> Ah. The original Mighty Joe Young. I, I haven't seen it. Oh no, it's very uncultured on that. I, I thought you saw every movie. Uh, <laughs> at the end of at the end of that movie, at the end of that movie, there's an orphanage on fire, and uh-huh. Joe, at the behest of, is it Teresa Wright? I'm not sure. I, for some reason, I think it's Teresa Wright, who's the female companion to the uh, gorilla. Uh, gets him to go in and rescue the children. He goes in, brings them out, and by the end of all of it, he's inhaled so much smoke, he passes out, like on the lawn of this orphanage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, she's all concerned because they had been kind of on the run or whatever, and they're like, no, Joe's a hero. Nobody's going to kill him now. You know, and, and it just reminded me of Pee-wee. He was right, getting ready to be arrested for stealing his own bike back. And it's like, no, this kid's a hero. And, it, I mean, it's the same thing. He's rescuing creatures from a burning building. So that's what it reminded me of. Whether, whether or not that is Paul Rubin's reference as he wrote this, I have no clue. I, I wouldn't doubt it at all. He just seems like he is very open about what he's been inspired by. You know, and even I've I've forgotten, but when he did his 
most recent movie that went to Netflix. I remember before it was uh, in production, he was talking about the movies that he wanted it to to be reminiscent of. So he seems pretty filled with those references and open to saying that yes, I am inspired by these things. So you're probably you're probably right. Oh, or or I'm just weird. It's one <laughs> one, one or the other. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. So I'm just trying to think of. There's so many little things in this, and, and there's no way we're going to hit on all of them. But I'm just yeah. trying to think of the other things that jump out at me as I'm... Uh... Well, the whole uh, the biker bar sequence, I think, is probably something people remember a lot. I yeah. mean, for a lot of reasons. I, obviously, the dance. I think a lot of people remember the dance, where he, which is such a weird joke, like, that he goes up to that janitor and takes those huge shoes, and then the guy's, like, tall. <laughs> he has, like, three feet tall. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then, But I love the whole... Uh, you know, everybody wants to beat him up, and he does this dance, and all of a sudden, like, you're all right, man, and they give him a motorcycle. <laughs> well, that's that's one of one of the lines. You know, you say the the lines you hear all the time. That's when when people start arguing. I want to do this. I want to do this. I say, I say we should let him go. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, I, I I remember back when this was out. If you went to like a wedding or something, or, uh, or and and they played tequila, people would do the Pee Wee Herman dance. So funny. Uh, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I just wrote down like a bunch of moments. I'm just kind of looking at them, but a lot of my favorite moments were just visual gags. And it, you reminded me because of the biker one. One of them is when the they are cool with him now, and he's got the leather jacket on. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, all right, Pee Wee, good luck. Hope you find your bike. He's like, thanks, man. <laughs> and then he like takes off, and in this one shot where the camera doesn't even move, he just runs right into a billboard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I, I forgot about that. I, I just watched it two days ago, and I already forgot that. And then, well, and then my other favorite visual gag is also a static joke, and it's so funny because there's really no necessarily reason for him to have this because he has sort of his James Bond moment where he goes to the gag store, right, and he loads up on the boomerang bow tie. Yeah, and, yeah, that's that's you know, yeah, James Bond with Q. Yeah, yeah, and then with his headlight glasses. And one of my favorite jokes is when he is out in the middle of nowhere. I think Mickey drops him off because they <laughs> fall off the cliff. And then it's just the cartoon animated eyeballs. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. And he's, here's these animals. And he's like, it's, it's probably just a dog. And then he realizes he has the headlight glasses, and he puts them on. And for, like, two seconds, he flips them on. And he sees completely surrounded by, like, zoo animals. And he's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then the lights just switch off back to black. Uh... I'm sorry. I hope this isn't the show. Just me. No, <laughs> I yeah, jokes from a film. Actually, uh... Give me all the favorite jokes you want. I, I think that's uh, I think that makes for enjoyable listening. To be honest with you, uh, yeah. one one of the things uh, again, just that yeah, it goes to the ten year old in an adult body thing that he mm-hmm. en- he envisions himself as James Brolin. Yeah. <laughs> when they they make the movie version of his his adventure, James Brolin plays him, and uh, Morgan Fairchild plays Dottie, the love interest. Yes, and he's he had to have his voice dubbed obvious, yeah. for obvious reasons, and it's it's so funny too because you can tell through his acting that he's yelling, like his mouth is way wide open, but they put this weird Mister Herman paging Mister Herman to no P W Herman. Yes, that's for P W. Yeah, and then yeah, then the, it's a motorcycle and ninjas are attacking him over it. Yeah, it's got old. Well, even even the bike he had had the special features on it when he's when he's esca- escaping from the the movie studio he he does something where he drops oil right. or whatever on the on the ground from it so he's got the james bond you know tricked up bike 
anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. And then, yeah, Dottie. Dottie hooked him up. And Dottie, I looked up Dottie, Elizabeth Daly. Yeah, and like a ton of things. She's like a voice... I mean, she, a lot of things in the 80s, and then she's a voice actress now, I think. Does a lot yeah, of stuff. a lot of voices. She was Tommy Pickles from the Rugrats. Yeah. I guess that's that looks like it. That's her. That may be her most known. Or she was actually the voice of uh, Babe in Babe Pig in the City. Not not not, not, in the, not in the original Babe. Okay. But she's in in the sequel. She did the voice of the pig. Uh-huh. Uh, what else? Buttercup on Powerpuff Girls. Huh. And I mean, that's good work if you can get it. By the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Voice acting. Oh. And she's she's apparently has has a singing career. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, she's in some other '80s movie where I know she sings. I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. Uh, but she's—I mean—they have the, a really classic exchange in this here too. You know, where there's things about me you wouldn't understand, things you couldn't understand, things you shouldn't understand. <laughs> and and then they they recreate that in uh, in in, in the uh, James Brolin movie. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm a loner, Dottie rebel <laughs> which is funny that actually you bring that up the the 10 year old in a man's body sort of thing i mean that's like a really you either can do that or you can't or that is really really obnoxious <laughs> right i think most people can't quite frankly yeah, i think that's something most we really don't want to see but somehow this character that paul rubens created he's so lovable I, it's it's kind of a lightning in a bottle sort of situation i think i mean that's a, i you see that a lot now as a criticism about movies that were coming out i think early 2000s or a little later where it was like the man child i mean it's a little different but when you have these you know tw- late 20s early 30s sort of people acting like kids i mean mm-hmm. step step brothers i think was the knowingly uh, they knew what they were doing when they were doing that but it was literally like 40 year old men acting like 12 year olds yes and I think after a while, people started to sort of call it out and say that it was, you know, they're having enough of it. But yeah, this, it, it, something about Pee Wee, I remember recently, at least in LA, he might have toured with us, but he did a live show a couple years ago. And I mean, he's got to be in his 50s or something now. Pee Wee is, uh, Paul, I, I had just seen, I believe he's 56. I mean, 66, six, 66 excuse me. 66. Yeah, he was wow. born in 1952. Okay. Well, yeah, but but I when that came around, I remember it was really popular, and I had friends that went, and it's just he has some sort of spark in him that just makes you enjoy seeing him behave that way, which is such a a weird, rare thing. Well, eventually, I don't know if you had seen, uh, you know, Pee Wee went through a uh, controversial time, or Paul Rubens had gone through a controversial yeah. time, as you're aware, and then it, it kind of put his career on the skids. Uh, and then he made kind of a comeback, and, and somewhat thankful to Tim Burton, because I think the first significant part he had after the controversy was playing the Penguin's father in Batman Returns. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. But he, he ended up yeah. having a, I think it was more than once. I, th- I know the character was recurring, and I know Chris Elliott eventually played it, but initially he played uh, a part on, on Everybody Loves Raymond, and he he owned a comic book store. Oh, okay. so so it was like a totally different character, but it was also one who kind of didn't leave his childhood behind. Mm-hmm. He, oh yeah, that's a, <laughs> you know and and you know he still lived in his parents' basement kind of thing, and uh, you know it was good to see that his career kind of revived because 
not that the controversy didn't mean anything, but it shouldn't cost the guy his career, is my way of looking at it. Yeah, and I, I've got to be honest, it's going to sound crazy, but I even forgot about it to bring it up for this. And it just shows you, I mean, time can heal some wounds. And uh, But I remember when that happened, I mean, yeah, that was a big deal, because I was younger when that happened, and it was sort of a... It was an easy punchline for sure, mm-hmm. right? For for like late night shows and SNL and things like that. But uh, and it could yeah, be he, career suicide because he was appealing to a young audience, and you could yes. see how some more protective parents might say, "I don't want my kid watching this guy." That's a real good point. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I don't know exactly what he's. I know he's still active but i don't know what he's doing specifically at this point but i I, you know i'm happy for him that he has a career still because again i not that he not that what he did was okay but i don't think it should cost you your livelihood yeah it was it was unsavory but he wasn't hurting anybody you know it's just it's it was an unsavory incident and And, and, you know it was he wasn't out in the street where just anybody could see him either yes (laughs) thank and thank goodness for that (laughs) but i remember too just the last thing about this i guess is uh it was you know uh, in the 80s whenever he was on a talk show he was never paul rubens he was always peewee herman Mm -hmm. if he was on johnny carson if he was on whatever else and he's credited as peewee herman in in everything so this was, and that was something, you know, he did intentionally, and I think this was weird because he, for the first time, had that mask torn off of him, and also that mugshot that was released was so jarring, because yeah. we only knew him as this really, you know, rosy-cheeked, flat-top kind of, yeah, like you said, like man-child sort of character, and that was such a weird way to be introduced to Paul Rubens. Yeah, it's certainly not the way he would have wanted to to have been introduced. Yeah, but looking at his IMDb page now, I mean, he's just super busy. <laughs> he's he's doing all sorts of it. Looks like a lot of voice work and Portlandia, What We Do in Shadows, Legends of Tomorrow, all sorts of stuff. Now I haven't watched uh, What We Do in Shadows yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't either. I know. Uh, I've heard people who are fans of the movie have a hard time starting it, but then once they get into it and see it's its own thing, I think people tended to like it. Hmm. Well, the movie, I think, was just very amusing. Who knows? Maybe it'll get covered on here at some point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've heard good things about the series, so I do need to give it a shot. Yeah. I just have a lot of things in my queue, including a lot of old movies so that I could talk about them on this show. I, I can only imagine. So, do you know what the uh, the finances are on this movie at all? That is a good question. I don't know. Now, I'd, I'd be if I had to guess. Well, I was going to say, keeping in mind that it's 1985. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to say, venture a guess? Do you have it in front of you? I have it from Wikipedia. So the accuracy, I believe, it comes from Box Office Mojo. The numbers. Okay. Uh, I can't vouch for the accuracy, but I'm going to take them as gospel, just the same. I was going to say ten or a little less. Uh, the budget, se- yeah. seven. Seven, okay. So yeah, that's 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 fairly close. I think, uh, especially considering we're almost we're thirty four years removed from it, I think that's not a bad guess at all. What you care to venture a guess for the domestic box office? This I have no idea. I wonder if this became. I don't even know because I was a little too young. I don't even know if this became came a cult hit or if it was an actual hit. I it just. I'm gonna, I'm gonna with the number in front of me. I'm gonna say both. Okay, I'm gonna guess like fifty. Not bad, forty point nine. 
Hey, all right. I, I think I think you, your guesses are pretty pretty fair, pretty reasonable considering, and and uh, you know, close enough to accurate. Yeah, it's, cool. easy, it's easy. It's easy for me to pass judgment with them in front of me. <laughs> well, it's 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 kind of interesting too. I mean, you think about now, it's sort of the the uh, the frequent thing that people will say is that the only movie that can get made are these superhero movies or these Disney movies, or you know, it's really hard to make middle budget movies, right? And it's interesting that this movie is so out of nowhere, really, for most people. And that this could come out and... I mean, think about not only that it's quirky and the character's a little odd, but think about the score. I remember growing up, my brother was slightly averse to this movie because the score was so creepy. He, he brings that up even now. He's like, he likes the movie now, but he's like, yeah, but the score is weird. It's sort of unnerving. And it kind of put him off as a kid. And so it's, it's a weird little package. It's a charming package, but a weird charming little package. And it's interesting that it did hit, right? Just to come out of nowhere in the middle of the 80s and people go, yeah. We're, we're we're buying into this. Yeah. And now, now, as far as the score goes, yeah. Do you think? And I've never tried this, so I can't even say. Do you think the score would play on its own? Like, if you're driving along in your car, could you pop in a disc of the score and just listen to it? You know, uh, I have it. I'll say that much. So, and I I listen to scores when I write. Uh, I could see this coming on and maybe not always being in the mood for it, but I do think it holds up on its own. A couple of tracks. Actually, I don't know if it's ever been a full release score. I think it was uh, paired with Back to School or something like that. So well, that was, like, I know Oingo Boingo, Oingo Boingo appeared in Back to Back to School. Yeah. So, so I guess I Danny Elfman did that score as well. So. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a fun score. And actually, the score uh, when it opens when he's in the Tour de France or whatever at the beginning, which is just funny on its own anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I remember that score is really. Uh, Chariots of Fire esque and and pretty pretty solid. I mean, I think this is his first actual film score, right? And it's for for that. I mean, it's an well, astounding. This, was this before? I guess this was before Back to School, right? Yeah, I think because so, Back to School. I don't know why I know this. I think it might have been eighty six. Uh, I'm looking up Danny Elfman right now, and. F- it says, 1985, Tim Burton and Paul Rubens invited Elfman to write the score for their first feature film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Elfman was apprehensive at first because of his lack of formal training with orchestration assistance from Oingo Boingo guitarist and arranger Steve Bartek. He achieved his goal of emulating the mood of such composers as Nino Rota, who I believe scored The Godfather, and Bernard Herrmann, who scored like every movie in the 1950s. Right. Uh, so yeah, I guess this was his first one. Yeah, and, but it's and it's so, it's so perfect. I mean, when you think of the uh, the breakfast machine sequence at the beginning, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've he- I've been to concerts where I've heard that played in the pre-show, like music, which is just I don't know. And and, and then you know you see some people in the audience who are like you, kind of dork, dorks like you, perk up and go, hey. <laughs> like, <laughs> But uh, yeah, but it, but I mean, it's perfectly fitting of this movie for sure. Whether or not you could listen to it on a bike ride through the country. <laughs> yeah, that's I. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm I. My my score listening is usually the very very recognizable. You know, sure. I'll I'll have on you know where there's various John Williams cuts or something along those lines. Uh, there's not very much where I play where it's just kind of the background music from a film. 
Yeah, you, I'm, I'm similar. I mean, I, Williams, of course, is Williams. But uh, I actually did listen to a lot of Elfman for a while. Um, uh, Batman, for sure. Edward Scissorhands, I like a lot. Even uh, Willy Wonka, which I wasn't crazy about the movie. It's a pretty good score. I mean, so, some of his earlier scores are pretty solid. And, and Zachy and I talk about this, too. Um, Dick Tracy is this forgotten gem of a score mm. by Danny Elfman. Um, that I, was, I think the Spider-Man score is too derivative of what he did in Batman, personally. Yeah. I, man, I'm having trouble thinking of it right now. Just think, I think that was it. Think of Batman. People. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think people then probably started to ask him to do the same thing. I'm well. I mean, to be fair, if we're talking about derivative, I mean, Dick Tracy is basically '89 Batman as well. Uh, but I'm sure Disney, because that was one year later, right? Disney thought that was going to be their Batman of 1990. Yeah, and I'm sure they're like, just remember that thing you did, like do do that. <laughs> but it's good. And it, it definitely, yeah. That, I mean, we were definitely uh, tangenting off here, but that movie clearly you know was trying to say okay we you know we're going to take you one step further we're going to trump your batman by making a you know literal live action cartoon strip and uh yeah you know yeah. i i know some people who who swear by that movie and love it um i'm hot and cold on it i can understand that i i bought the blu-ray uh like a year or two ago because it was like six dollars and i hadn't seen it since the 90s and i was just curious and uh it's it's wacky, <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's got its strengths and weaknesses. However, it is captivating to look at for however long it is. So I mean, it's I, I think it's uh, it's definitely ahead of its time. I think it, it it deserves to be a part of the conversation of comic book movies because I mean, the fact that they didn't even have the assistance of computers to pull off what they did in that movie is the artistry is out of this world. So. Yeah, I, I agree but with the that. Story itself, I would say my my you know, and again, I haven't seen this movie in years, and we're not doing a review of that movie right yes, now. Sorry, <laughs> but but my my biggest criticism of it was probably using Madonna in it because she was the flavor of the week. Yeah, I I, yeah. Th- I think it would have been better if they had a you know a better actress in the role. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, anyone else that appeared in this one that you? think bears mentioning Let's see uh, I'm, I'm looking over the cast list now uh jason hervey who went on to yeah. uh, fame on uh on the wonder years as yeah as that spoiled actor yeah, yeah he, he was yeah but he you know he was great in, in in his little role that he had oh so funny yeah and then i love yeah peewee's dressed as a nun yeah. <laughs> i'll say i think i'll start a paper out right now <laughs> takes the bike <laughs> yeah it's just again, it's just to me, it's genius the way he just came up with things like that to like you know just where these ideas come from. Yeah, uh, I have. Oh, no, Milton no Berle, I forgot about that when oh, he's sneaking right. the Warner's lot and he's just laughing with a group of people laughing at Milton Berle. <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah, pitches the cheek of the god that wasn't going to let him in. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. uh, anything? Uh, and then go the, ahead. Uh, there's a, it's a fun sequence too with uh, what's her name. Simone, Diane Salinger. Yes, and they have the you know the whole moment in the dinosaurs. Which, by the way, I, I came back on a road trip from Northern California and I drove past those, and that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, that uh, I've never been, so yeah, I think it would be cool. Yeah, and then Andy, yeah, her boyfriend. <laughs> He's this this hulking lumberjack-looking guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just you know really quickly. I just ran my 
mouse over it. And John Elmo Harris played the role. He's an American American wrestler and actor who became known under his ring name Silo Sam. Uh, he stood seven foot seven. Wow. That's what that's what it says on his Wikipedia. Oh wow. Whether whether or not that's verified or not, I have no idea because that seems incredibly tall. Yeah, that's incredible. He's, amazing. He's, Who's he's, amazing, Larry? I have to look. As long as we're looking at this, <laughs> that, that is just one of the best non sequiturs in film history. He, he is not listed on the Wikipedia page for this uh, particular movie. He's been in all sorts of. He's been in Grey's Anatomy, How I Met Your Mother, Wedding Crashers, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Will and Grace. Wow. Yeah. Ton of things. Any any roles that he played on those where you're seeing that uh, you know that that we'd recognize him? I'm trying to oh, see. Oh yes. Going... I, I, yeah. I, I I think on 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 he was on Seinfeld. Oh really? What was he on that? Or who was he? He was the S man. I don't know if you, huh. if you remember when Kramer uh, accidentally got somebody else's uh, license plate. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and then he showed up at the end that he uh it was really his <laughs> wow that's amazing larry amazing larry choosing yeah. him from had, my desk had quite quite the <laughs> <a> career <laughs> yeah All right, before we before we rate this one anything else uh that bears mentioning I mean, just the fact that I could keep going and going and going. I mean, I and it's like like you would say, and knitting and knitting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, there's no point in this movie I want to turn it, turn it off, or turn the channel or whatever. It's just for me personally. I think maybe this is why I'm afraid of trying to conceive of a road picture because I feel like coming up with a character that is this enjoyable, this character should not be this enjoyable for 90 minutes. This guy should really push you away, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he isn't this enjoyable on paper. Yeah, that it, sure. it's, it's not just the writing. You, you, yeah. you need a combination of the writing and the actor who's going to just captivate the audience. I entirely agree. Entirely agree. You, you, and the, and you could sit down and write the best road movie ever, but if you don't have the guy who's going to do that... You know, then then you're you're going to be out of luck. Yeah, and you you really do. I mean, within reason, but you 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 want him to accomplish his goal, right? I mean, you feel kind of bad when he's embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the Alamo. Um, yeah. Oh, you definitely do. Because you, you you at at that point, frankly, I wouldn't have known what the Alamo had a, had a basement. So yeah. so I'm along with him for the ride at that point, and when he gets embarrassed, I'm I'm embarrassed with him. Yeah, yeah, and then and so then you know it's a fun, yeah. I I mean I'm already tipping my hand how I feel about this movie, but I think it's it's got a really fun solid setup to introduce you to him, where you've got the machine and oh I was talking about this with someone the other day. It's this moment that is so dumb, but it makes me laugh every time when he's getting ready in the morning and he puts that tape on his nose. <laughs> and it's funny because the way he plays it is he looks he's about to leave the bathroom and he looks at himself like oh wait no something isn't right <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done the, the, the tape pig nose yet yeah and then he keeps applying tape to himself and then when he rips it off he's like ow <laughs> I think good screaming is always going to be funny to me and like nobody does a funny scream better than, than Pee Wee Herman yeah so anyway but then when you get to the adventure part of it when you get to the 
the vignettes, as I, I, I guess I was calling them, they're all interesting. They propel them forward. And then by the end, it's so satisfying. And when you see the whole movie recap through this funny Hollywood lens, like you were saying with James Brolin, you know, it's just... And, then, and it's a sweet ending, too, with him and uh, Dottie on their date and their, the silhouettes of them riding their bikes across the movie screen, projecting his story. I I just think it's it's one of the best road movies, for yeah. sure. I'm not going to argue with you at all on that. Yeah. So we, we've gotten that far, so then the question becomes, is it yours? Knowing for the Jaws scale, where do you put it? I, I, I think this is Jaws, for sure. I think this is something we talk about in the movie film podcast is, you know, is this movie the best version of itself? So, like, Dumb and Dumber. Is Dumb and Dumber, like, even need to be mentioned in the same sentence as The Godfather? Like, well, no. <laughs> you know, but is it the best version of itself? Like, two dim-witted people mistaking everything across the country as they try to return a briefcase? Like, oh, yeah, like, it's the best version of itself. For me, this being this wacky road trip picture... I don't know how this movie could be any better, honestly. I totally agree with you. I was going back and forth on this. Where you know, where was I going to land on this movie? And what you're saying is exactly what I came down on. Is it is perfectly achieving what it tried to achieve. Yes. And in that regard, for for what the goal was for this movie, it is perfectly executed, and therefore should be ranked as Jaws. I qualify that only to the extent that if you have somebody who cannot watch a movie and get in touch with their inner child, they may just look at this and think, oh, this is too silly for me. Yeah, uh, I can imagine that. <laughs> so it's it's not going to be Jaws for everyone. Yes. But for anybody who, you know, who can just really be silly and laugh at this kind of stuff, it, it really is perfect for what it, what it sets out to accomplish. So I'm I'm going to give it a Jaws rating as well for that reason. Ah, great. <laughs> so this this is fun and it was I, I I'm glad you picked this one cuz again I hadn't seen it in a few years and I, I really you know it, it fit exactly what you said it was almost a forgotten gem because I hadn't thought about it in a long time. And then as I was watching it I was like, "Oh my god, this is so funny. I forgot how funny this is." Yeah. And uh so thanks thank you for picking it. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed talking about it enough that you'll come on again and we'll talk about something else in the not-too-too-distant future. Oh, I'd love to. I had a blast doing this. But uh, once again, just before we sign off, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, well, I'm uh, writing for Puppy Dog Pals, which airs on Disney and Disney Junior, um, from what I understand, a lot. <laughs> so, hey, just flip over there and you'll probably see one either on or coming on in 30 minutes. All right, cool. And uh, don't forget the movie film podcast. Oh, of course. And See, I'm so bad. You know what? This is actually very funny. I, I've mentioned this to Zachy before, the co-host of uh, my co-host on movie film podcast. He always wraps up every episode. I've never signed off on an, an episode of that. And there was one time. So when he starts doing all this and doing all the plugs, I start to zone out and I start writing notes for myself about what I'm going to do for editing. And then one time he started <laughs> talking to me and I had no idea he was talking to me. <laughs> so that, that, this is why I'm so terrible at signing off. But yes, the movie film podcast, which you can find, I mean, you know, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and um, anywhere you get your podcast, I'm sure you can find it. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we try to come at it, uh, Zachy and I, as people who love movies. We don't we don't want any movie to be bad. I mean, we'll call it a movie if it, it, it isn't great, but uh, 
we're fans of movies and we like talking about them. And when we watch something, we either enjoy talking about why we loved it or try to figure out why we didn't love it. So it's it's uh, ch- uh, by people who love movies for people who love movies. And I would definitely recommend anybody who enjoys listening to this show would enjoy listening to that and do so unless it's at the expense of stopping listening to this one. No, we don't want that. <laughs> we know we don't want we listen to listen to this. There's plenty of time in the day to listen to both. Exactly. Mine, mine only. This one only comes out every other week. There's plenty of time to work it in. <laughs> so, but thanks again for coming on, Brian. This this was a real pleasure for me. Hey, thanks for having me. And thank you everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. my birthday and my father said I can have anything I want. Good for you and your father. So guess what I want? A new brain. No, your bike. (laughs) What's so funny, Pee Wee? It's not for sale, Francis. My father says everything's negotiable. Pee-wee. I wouldn't sell my bike for all the money in the world. Not for a hundred billion million trillion dollars. Then you're crazy. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Infinity. No, I'm not. You are. No way. Knock it off. Cut it out. Oh, shut up, Why don't you make me? Why don't you make me? Because I don't make monkeys. I just train them. Oh, Pee-wee, listen to reason. Come on. I'm listening to reason. Pee-wee. That's my name. Don't wear it out. Remember the first time I saw your bike? You were riding past my house, and I came running out to tell you how much I liked it even way back then? I love that story. You'll be sorry, Pee-wee Herman!